All right, welcome back to another edition of the Speed Truth Sports Podcast. Uh, I am Bert, and I am joined by. And uh, today we're going to go over a bunch of stuff from the NBA and NFL, a bunch of news, especially from the NFL. Um, before we get into it, uh, I just want to say, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and share. It really helps us grow. Uh, and if you're on listening to us on any type of podcasting app, please uh, rate us uh, and share us as well. Uh, the more we grow, the better of a product we can deliver to you. And uh, I also want to kick it off with a little uh, happy Martin Luther King Day. We're recording this on Martin Luther King Day. So, yeah, um, make sure you study up on all of his accomplishments and all of his successes. Uh, he's a very, very influential person in the history of American, uh, American history in general. So shout out to Martin Luther King Jr. for holding it down. <laughs> All right. Why don't we just go straight into the NFL, right? There's a lot of stuff to go over. So let's kick it off with the coaching hires. Uh, there were a few different coaching hires in the past week. Uh, the Jags have hired Urban Meyer. Uh, the Jets have hired Robert Sala. And I believe the Lions hired Dan Campbell. I'm not too familiar with Dan Campbell, um, but we can go into the other two. Let's, let's kick it off with Urban Meyer. How do you feel about the Urban Meyer signing? Uh, I feel like for Urban Meyer, this was like the most ideal spot for him to uh, start coaching in the NFL. The Jags are a team that has a lot of cap space. Uh, they actually have, are projected to have $73 million, which is the most cap space going into the offseason. Um, they have two first-round picks, the first overall pick and the 25th pick. Um, so it'll be interesting what they'll do. Um, I'm assuming they'll get Trevor Lawrence with the first pick. There is some strange speculation that you know, that he might draft Justin Fields over Lawrence, but uh, Lawrence is a much more polished player and would fit right more into his system of things. So it should be interesting to see how he'll do as the head coach for the Jaguars. Yeah, I've heard about the Justin Fields speculation as well. I just, I don't buy it. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is, he's going to be sensational. You know, you don't pass up on a generational talent like Trevor Lawrence. Um yeah, I, you know, I'm rooting for Urban Meyer, but he has a lot going against him. I mean, college coaches, you know, they rarely succeed in the NFL, if we're being honest. Um, there's only a couple I can really think of off the top of my head that have actually really succeeded in the NFL. Uh, Urban Meyer has a lot of health issues. Uh, you know, he left his last job due to them. He, I could see them, I could see him leaving for health-related reasons two or three years in again. Um, but I, I like him as a person. I, I, I am rooting for him. I want him to do good on the Jags. I think the Jags have a lot of potential. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, he's going to change that franchise. And like you said, they have so much cap space. They can go out and get a bunch of, um, free agents, uh, kind of like the Dolphins did the Dolphins off season mm -hmm. in, uh, last year. They had a very solid off season, built their team very well, got to, uh, uh, and they, they played very well this season, almost made the playoffs. So, I could see the Jags kind of following in that general trend, but obviously they need a lot more help on defense than the, Dol than the Dolphins did uh, last year. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see where that goes. They have a lot of young talent, though. Uh, you know, no one th thought that James Robinson was going to be as good as he was. They still have DJ Chark uh, in the receiver position, and so is that other wide receiver from uh, the from Colorado University. I mean, they also have some 
not as many, but few ballers on the defensive side that are also fairly young, such as C.J. Henderson, Josh Allen, and then Miles Jack. So, I mean, there, there is some building blocks for that team. Um, but, you know, Urban Meyer, he's a great coach, but we'll have to see. I was kind of going to go off what you were saying earlier, talking about how uh, college coaches don't really succeed. Honestly, it's a coin toss. It's a 50-50 thing because you can get a coach just like Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers. He, was, he ended up being doing fairly well, you know, 44 uh, wins as a head coach and 19, only 19 losses in a Super Bowl appearance. Uh, and then also there was Pete Carroll from when he used to coach at USC and then jumped over to the NFL. You know, those two are, you know, like the the ceiling of, you know, where it can go. But then there's times like Chip Kelly, which that experiment did not work very well for the Eagles. Um, Nick Saban is also a head coach for the Miami Dolphins way back when in 1998 to 2006. And, you know, he was fairly mediocre. He, only had, he had 65 wins and 63 losses as a head coach. And then currently right now, Cliff Kingsbury, who is not a very good coach over at Texas Tech is currently the head coach of the Cardinals, and they have a losing record under him um, as a as his stint there. So it is really a coin toss. I really don't know where it can go, uh, but I want to have a lot of hope at Urban Meyer. I mean, the dude was a really good coach over at uh, Ohio State, so we'll have to see how this goes. Yeah, and on to the like going back to the Cliff Kingsbury point. Yeah. It could be argued that he was kind of the reason they didn't even make the playoffs this year. Like his his coaching decisions down the stretch were just not great, really not great. Uh, let's jump to the Jets hire of Robert Sala. Uh, I think this is a fantastic hire for the Jets, uh, not just from like a scheme perspective, because obviously they do need defense. And Robert Sala was the former Niners uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, so he knows what he's doing on defense, but, you know, not just from a scheme perspective, just from a personality and from a culture perspective, like he's really going to change things over, uh, in the Jets organization, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I've, I haven't heard a single bad thing about Sala at all since he's been in the, since he's been in the NFL. Uh, and he listens to his players a lot. That's been reported. He, he really listens and res- takes time to respond to them. I think that could work really, really well for the Jets, especially because they have a lot of young guys. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a fantastic hire for the Jets. Yeah, I think it was a really good uh, pickup for the Jets. I was actually surprised how well the pickup it was, for, seeing as they you know, hired Adam Gase a couple of years ago. You'd think that this team didn't know what they were doing, but it was surprisingly a really good hire. And I really like the fact that he took um, the quarterback coach from the 49ers, Mike LaFloy, who's the brother of Matt LaFloy, uh, over as his offensive coordinator for the Jets. And the 49ers' deep offense was pretty solid. Well, in previous years, was pretty solid. Um, so this is definitely a move in the right direction for the team. You know, like you said, he's a very well-respected coordinator. And a lot of people, there's not really many things negatively said about the guy. I mean, I mean, he took this 49ers' defense who dealt, dealt with a lot of injuries and a lot of the COVID issues, and they still end up being a top-five defense this year. So... It was really surprising, and I mean, it just goes to show how disciplined and how that this team can really, you know, use this kind of personnel and this kind of like leadership because this they this team does need a culture change if they really do seek any success in the future. Yeah, totally agree. Um, my question is, do they keep Sam Darnold now, or do they maybe pivot to drafting a Justin Fields now and starting over? 
Yeah, that was an interesting thing because I don't know how they will work with Sam Darnold. I mean, Sam Darnold, for me, I feel like I can see him getting traded this offseason. Um, but at the same time, if they do end up keeping him, uh, I don't think it will be for very long. I, I mean, Sam Darnold, I'm not going to say he's a bad QB because seeing his situation, it's really hard to make much of it. But at the same time, I feel like he hasn't done enough to make me believe that if he was somewhere else, he'll like he'll be amazing. So we'll have to see. I mean, this offseason is going to be very interesting for them because just like I was telling earlier with the Jaguars, this team also is in a good position as they have the second most cap space going into the offseason. And then they also have the second overall pick and then the 23rd uh, overall pick. And then they also have another third rounder that they got from the Jamal Adams trade as well. So this team's in the right direction if they really want to go on the uptick and just, you know, go forward. But it's going to be hard because the AFC East is not what they used to be. Um, the Bills seem like they're going to stay up top of that division. The Dolphins made a surprising jump this this past season. Um, the Patriots, they might get all their they might get a lot of their players back after they opted out, you know, this past season. So it's going to be a lot to for the Jets to really go in the right direction, but it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, um, in my opinion, I really think that either either they give Darnold one more year just to see what Salah can do with him. Or they straight up uh, just trade him or cut him. Uh, you know, they resetting the rookie clock on your quarterback is very is very good for teams financially and successfully. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you kind of want to try and win while your quarterback's on the rookie contract. Once you start to pay your quarterback and pay all your other good players, your team kind of starts to fall apart a little bit because you're running out of money to pay everybody everybody else. Uh, so I, I could definitely see them talking themselves into keeping him for one more year, but I could also see them being too enticed by someone like Justin Fields uh, to keep Darnold around, who has not met their expectations, but it's not completely his fault. I mean, Gase, Adam Gase is not a good head coach. <laughs> yeah, he's really not. And this was proven after uh, Ryan Tannehill went over to the Titans and just, oh yeah. Play, started to play so well so it just really goes to show that Adam Gase it's the Adam Gase effect whenever you leave Adam Gase you just start being good at the game <laughs> that's just what happens um and then the Lions hired Dan Campbell uh, do you know much of, I don't really know much about Dan Campbell yeah, I know he's the assistant coach and then the Titans coach uh former has assistant coach and the Titans coach for uh the Saints um I mean this is one of those moves where like I mean I guess it's a good pickup for them I don't know really what direction they were going to go into. I really think the Lions are one of those teams that it's going to be in the rebuild for a while. Um, for me, I don't really see them really doing too much. Um, so I think Dan Campbell kind of knew that going into the position. I really thought that the Lions were going to go get Salah because he was a Michigan native. He went to college also in uh, Michigan. So I really thought that they were going to go get Salah. But, um, I mean, getting, getting Dan Campbell, uh, Dan. Campbell, excuse me. Uh, I guess it was a interesting pickup uh, for the Lions, to say the least. All right, let's jump to the divisional round recap. These were this is a very good slate of games, in my opinion. Uh, let's kick it off with the Packers versus the Rams. So the Packers beat the Rams thirty-two to eighteen, uh, and I'm not even gonna hold you. I only saw like part of the game. <laughs> 
But just from what I saw, I mean, Rogers just, man, like he looks so good for 37. Like, and LaFleur's offense is just, it's so much more fluid. It's so much more creative than McCarthy's offense. It's, it's actually, it's, it's pretty ridiculous in my opinion. Uh, it's just night and day. Like now there really is a solid case to be made that, you know, Rogers' talent was just wasted over a lot of his career because of Mike McCarthy. Uh the Packers run defense is still a bit of an issue. Uh, and Sean McVay, I mean, he, he put up a heck of a fight in this game from what I saw. He had some really creative plays uh, in the end zone uh, and in the red zone in general. And Jared Goff did very surprisingly good. Uh, you know, everyone kind of expects Jared Goff to be that guy who, you know, throws for 400 yards, but also like three interceptions. Um, but I, th- I thought he did pretty, he, I thought he did pretty solid this game. Uh, and Aaron Donald is just, man, he, I have so much respect for Aaron Donald. Just the way he fought with a torn rib cartilage, like, man, like I, I probably wouldn't even be able to get up in the morning <laughs> and this man's playing football in the NFL. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. For me, the game, um, this first half was a bit slow for the Rams. Um, they didn't score their first touchdown until I think the ending, the ending half of the second quarter. Um, for me, I think, I thought the game was going to get out of hand after Rodgers had the rushing touchdown in the second quarter and they went up 16-3. I kind of, for me, I kind of felt like, oh, I guess the, the Rams weren't going to really put up a fight. Um, but the touchdown did give them some kind of hope. And then, obviously, they did rally back and made it a seven-point game at 18-25 to if, uh, in the second half of the game. But um, I just, for me, I felt like the Packers weren't, just were not going to lose this game. They just have too much momentum on their side. And you're talking about the Packers defense, in particular run defense. The run defense was, like you said, was pretty mediocre. They did, they did end up allowing 96 yards and allowing Cam Akers to run for 90 of those yards and a rushing touchdown. But, I mean, you could you expect Cam Akers was kind of the other half of that offense, you know, besides just golf, you know, doing what he did this game. Um, but their their pass defense was the thing that was kind of surprising for me. They only allowed 40, 148 passing yards this game and uh, four sacks. They had four sacks on golf. So it was surprising to see the Packers' pass defense play, um, you know, this well, this late in the season. So, I mean, for me, I feel like the Packers' defense actually uh, did a lot more than I expected them to do this game. And I felt like, you know, it was balanced on the offensive side, doing what they did, and the defense held up on the Packers side so it was a very balanced game for the Packers uh you know a lot of momentum going into the next game yeah for sure and I mean the Packers defense uh, at least their secondary it's nothing to really slouch at they've been quietly pretty solid uh I think I'm pretty sure they're top 10 in fewest passing touchdowns allowed per game and they are uh seventh in fewest yards allowed passing per game so you know, their, their schedule hasn't been incredibly hard, but that's those are still very impressive numbers. Uh, I really – I like this secondary. Um, we'll talk more about the Packers uh, later on in the show. Um, mm-hmm. But do you have anything else to say before we move on? I mean, I was surprised how uh, poorly Ramsey did, did against Devontae Adams, but Devontae Adams is uh, a top two receiver, and he's not number two right now. 
So the dude's balling out, you know. He had, I think he had six catches on six targets on Ramsey. He had 55, I think 55 yards and one touchdown on Ramsey. So it was surprised to see Ramsey uh, go down in that kind of way. Especially, you know, he was talking a lot of smack going into the game, but the two do have some respect for each other. And I, I knew, you know, I'm pretty sure Ramsey was aware that this guy was, you know, balling out this whole season. So he was just another victim against... Uh, Devontae Adams so I was I was surprised to see Ramsey get kind of tore up in that way but um can't say I'm surprised yeah I mean Devontae Adams he's Devontae Adams like you're not you you can't stop him you can only hope to slow him down Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Ramsey did all right uh for what it's worth I mean Devontae Adams definitely could have had way more of an impact than he did uh but you know it's just that Aaron Rodgers is so good at getting other guys open, just throwing them open in general, that, you know, even if Devontae Adams is completely shut out, somebody will have a good game, uh, and Aaron Rodgers will find somebody to give the ball to. Uh, and Matt LaFleur, obviously, he ran that one um, – it was almost like a trick play where they kind of ran uh, Devontae Adams from one end to the other and immediately threw him the ball, like before Ramsey could even react to him and got a touchdown. That was a touchdown, I believe. Uh, I mean, that's just proof of the the defense or sorry the offense uh, that Matt Lafleur brings, like the creativity he brings to this team, uh, and I'm a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll jump into the Ravens versus the Bills. I have a lot to say on this. I have a lot. To- I I will get my piece out the way. Cause I know you have a lot more to say than I do. Uh, I think this was a very defensive game. The Ravens did a uh, very good job in the first half of the game. Um, and they also just did a really good job in general because, technically speaking, their offense only gave up really 10 points the whole game. Um, if you want to get really even technical, uh, the special teams technically only give, give the three. The, the, the defense only gave up technically seven. Um, but uh, it was really surprising uh, that the Bills, I, I feel like they didn't play their sharpest game o- offensively. Uh, Josh Allen only had 206 yards passing and I think one touchdown um, and 100 of those six yards passing all went to Stefan Diggs um, that also the run game was absolutely abysmal um, they only had thir- 32 rushing yards for the game um, they actually had 220 yards total while the Ravens had 340 so it kind of goes to show that their defense really did win them this game the offense really just um, relied on that defense to really step it up and they really did, and they did a really good job. And then for the Ravens side, for me, this was kind of like watching after <sighs> the O line was really bad. I I know you'll have a lot more to say about that and go into detail, but the O line was really bad. I felt like after Lamar got injured, it kind of made me realize that this team is only, this team's offense is only good because of Lamar. Uh, and also made me feel like uh, made me kind of think about how it was how it is with uh, the Cardinals and Kyler Murray how. You know, Cliff Kingsbury, he makes that offense run on Kyler Murray's legs. And if Kyler Murray's not there, they don't play well, like we saw in Week 17 when they lost to the Rams. Um, I just felt like when Lamar went down, it was kind of like that was it. Like, that's the game. Like, he is that offense because that team struggles a lot without him. Um, They really could have used him throughout the whole game. And they really could have used the receivers to really step it up. The receivers also didn't do a very good job. Uh, I think 
uh, I think um, Mark Andrews was targeted 11, to t- 11 times. He only had four catches, four or, f- or four to five catches. So he didn't have his sharpest game either. So for me, I just felt like the Ravens really, uh, really disappointed this game when it really mattered most. I know you have a lot more to say, so I'll let you get to your thoughts. All right. First, I just want to start with, man, stop hating on Lamar. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> hating on stop hating on Lamar, please. Look, he has compared to his um, his peers around his age, Baker, uh, Josh Allen, Mahomes, Joe Burrow, even Joe Burrow. He has less offensive help than all of those guys. Seriously, I mean he he's a good kid. He's twenty three. He's literally younger than Joe Burrow. He never gets in any trouble. Off he doesn't have any type of off court issues. He's always supportive of his teammates, and he's just straight up a good person. I don't see any reason to, you know, prey on this guy's downfall. It's just, it's ridiculous to me. I don't understand why there's such a massive hate bandwagon. Um, I'll, I'll never really understand that, but, you know, Lamar needs help. He didn't have his best game, but it's only, I'd only blame him for about 50% of this. The other 50% was the God awful O-line. It was, it was horrendous. Look, when your offense, when your center can't even snap the ball correctly, I mean, I don't, you're not going to win the game. <laughs> I don't know what's up with, with uh, Makari uh, and with, uh, so he's not, he's, his name's not coming to me right now, Skura. I don't know what's up with either of them. They just got the yips during the middle of the season. They've had snapping issues, I'd say, since about like week. 13 or so they just something's gotten into them like psychologically they just can't snap the ball correctly another thing that's gotten into somebody psychologically is justin tucker i he missed more field goals this game than he has in some seasons which is just it's ridiculous to think about but like see like he really he really whiffed on a couple of a couple of kicks that he should have hit that he normally hits uh i don't know what was going on there uh in my opinion i mean just I don't know how prepared the Ravens even were for this game. The defense was absolutely elite. The defense was absolutely elite. I have nothing bad to say about the defense at all. Um, uh, but l- let me get back to Lamar real quick. So Lamar did have a really costly turnover uh, towards the end of the game, uh, which is a 101-yard pick six. But, you know, I blame that a lot on the red zone offense. Like you said, Mark Andrews had 11 targets. On any other team, you know, Mark Andrews should not be getting 11 targets a game. But the problem was, like, he was the only one getting somewhat open. Like, he was, he was one of the few getting somewhat open. Hollywood got somewhat open occasionally too, but then once they doubled him, he was missing. He was MIA. Uh, this team really, really badly, really badly needs a – Stefan Diggs type receiver, uh, someone like maybe like an Allen Robinson, uh, just to come in and Lamar needs someone to throw 50-50 balls to. It used to be Mark Andrews that, like, that he could do that to, but as of recent, Mark Andrews just, sometimes he has butterfingers, sometimes he just straight up doesn't reel it in. I, it's, it's, it's He's very inconsistent with the 50-50 ball. If they brought in somebody like uh, like I said, like Allen Robinson, uh, he could have a Stefan Diggs type impact on the Ravens offense in general. 
Now let me get to Greg Roman. His his offense is so predictable. Fans have like recorded themselves calling out the plays from their TV before they happen. That's that's ridiculous. That that's Steve Smith himself, the legend Steve Smith himself. He literally said the Ravens offense is elementary. And he said his six-year-old could run the offense better. And you know, he's not wrong. Greg Roman needs to adapt to do, to do different things. He needs to run some more play action. He needs to put more options out there. When you're just like snapping the ball and then passing it, you know, that's not, that's not the way the Ravens offense is best utilized. You know, the Ravens offense is best utilized by the threat of Lamar Jackson running. So if you try and force him to become a pocket passer, that's not his game. You're not going to, you're probably not going to win the game. Uh, so you've got to kind of copy a little bit of the Titans offense, run, run more play action, scare teams, you know, run some options and whatever, so just scare teams into thinking this guy could take off right now, or he might be able to dump it off real quick to, to a receiver who could run for 15 or 20, you know, they need to, they just need to stop abandoning the run the second they go down. I mean, Greg Roman literally, like, the minute they go down, uh, and no matter, like, what the score is, even if they're down by three, he stops running the ball. He just keeps throwing it. You don't <laughs> – Ravens are the best rushing team in the league. Why are they going away from rushing even though they're down by just three or maybe even seven or maybe even ten, even down ten? They should still keep running. As long as they have two or three more quarters left, because that's usually when they go down. They usually go down in the first or second quarter. Whenever they go down that big, keep running the ball. What's what's the – I don't understand why he just insists on throwing it uh, when that's not playing to their strengths. He's just not bringing their strengths out of them. Uh, and like I said before, I mean, Hollywood Brown and, and Willie Sneed, they're the only serious options at wide receiver. And once Hollywood's doubled, I mean, he gets taken out of the game straight up. Uh, Hollywood is a great number two option, but I don't see him as a number one, not unless he gets seriously better over the off season. And Willie Sneed, he's nice for, you know, being in the slot and all, but come on, like he'd be a number four, number five receiver on most other teams. He shouldn't be, you know, he shouldn't be our, one of our best receivers. Uh, and same with Mark Andrews. Once he gets double teamed, you know, he really has, he really has a tough time overcoming that as well uh they just you know what they need more they need to go back to their two tight end and three tight end sets they really do uh i i mentioned how last game they used ricard at the tight end position a little bit occasionally and it worked out really really well for them i don't know why they strayed away from that this game i'm not sure if they just didn't think it would work against uh against the bills but you know they I really hope they grab a tight end somewhere in free agency or maybe in the draft or something. They need to be able to run those two and three tight end sets because then it becomes even more unpredictable. Now you're wondering, okay, these tight ends can really block like, like a lineman. So are they actually going to run it or are they going to dump it off to one of those two? It, then it makes it just even more unpredictable. And it's just, it helps in general. It helps the entire offense. Uh, like I said before, the offensive line is absolutely atrocious. Uh, I credit that to obviously Yonder retiring and Ronnie Stanley going down really early in the season. Uh, I expect he's going to be back next season. I expect him to be good again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just stuff that I've been saying since, you know, you know me. I've been saying this since last year. 
They just they need they need a better wide receiver. They need uh, possibly another tight end, and they need uh, a better center. You know, you, you snapping the ball is fifty percent of your job, and you know if you can't snap the ball correctly, you shouldn't be getting minutes, right? But then they bring in the backup center, and he doesn't snap the ball correctly either. So it's like what's like something's going on psychologically in this team. I don't know what they need to do to break out of it, but. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, when Lamar has no time to throw, he's it's really hard for him to win games. And people always criticize him for, you know, dropping back in the pocket and then immediately starting starting a run. It's because for the most part, you know, when you try and see from his perspective, most of his guys are like just completely swamped in coverage and the line is crumbling around him. He has to go. If he doesn't, he's going to get sacked straight up. He has to he has to run. Um, but yeah, I mean, Going back to Josh Allen, I mean, I don't blame him for only throwing 206. You know, it was a really windy game. Uh, so, you know, accuracy with throwing was always going to be off. Uh, even for Lamar, it was off as well. He had a couple of short throws. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't expect Josh Allen to repeat this performance. If anything, I expect him to really build upon it. Um but I, before I finish this rant, I just want to say shout out to the Bills fans. Bills fans, you know, y'all the best in the league, straight up. You guys are the best in the league. They raised, I believe it was like $290,000 for Lamar Jackson's charity uh, in 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Bills fans, yeah, shout out to you guys. Well, the Bills mock has always been uh, a really uh... – good about that because i think one time when they made it into the playoffs a couple years ago when i think the Bengals spoiled the Ravens season and the bills made it the playoffs for the first time in like forever they uh they think they also gave money to someone else's charity or something like that or they always they typically like when they feel like they were helped to go further in the in football and all that stuff they would they really do look out for the other team to help them out or looked out for the other people in general and, you know, I mean, like you said, Lamar's a good dude. So um, them going to, you know, donate to his charity, it, it, it was nice. It was nice of them. Um, but there was a couple things I wanted to say. Um, my thing is uh, about Josh Allen. Josh Allen, I mean, he's his performance was the better performance uh, on the team. Um, like I said, the offense really is dependent on Diggs and Allen so if those two even if you know other parts of the team aren't clicking such as the running game uh, I feel like those the, they can still win next week's game potentially um, but I do think that the run game really needs to improve because it can't just always be so dependent on um, on Allen and yeah, I believe Diggs. Sean Mc, I believe Sean McDermott said that like um, running like I think he was talking about when they were like up by a big margin, like why they, why they would still throw. And he just, I think he just went like throwing is our running. <laughs> yeah. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, when, I mean, I think, uh, I think Devin Singletary had around 20 yard, 20 plus yards of rushing. And that was about it. Um, they really need, I mean, Zach Moss out with an ankle injury. They could have really used him there because at least he adds some kind of running as well. Um, Devin Singletary hasn't really been that guy for the past few weeks. 
Um, I'm I'm worried about their run game going into the into next week's game because they really do need a more balanced approach on offense if they really hope to make an even deeper run and maybe a potential run to the Super Bowl. Um, so we'll have to see about that for next week's game. And I, I do want to end on a couple things. Uh, so when you said, you know, when you saw Lamar go out, you kind of noticed how dependent the Ravens offense was around him. Uh, I hope everyone else noticed that as well, uh, because, you know, people that hate on Lamar are always talking about how he can't elevate his team when it matters the most. His team wouldn't even be in the positions they were without him. Like this Ravens team, their defense is incredible, but you can't put your defense out there for 40 minutes. And that's what would happen if we had an average quarterback. You know, the Ravens defense would have to be out there like 90% of the game. Uh, and they wouldn't look good, and the Ravens would probably be top five or bottom five in the league right now. So, you know, Lamar, he does deserve some of the blame for some of the decisions he made during the game, especially that pick six. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, there's so many other issues. Like, we shouldn't even be harping on Lamar. Lamar's the least of our concerns right now, in my opinion. Uh, it all really starts with the offensive line, and it just – goes out from there to the rest of the offense in general. The offense is horrendously anemic without Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is their life support, like basically at this point. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting how they're going to address things because I felt like a lot of stuff that you did mention earlier, We when we watched that uh, Titans versus Ravens last year's playoff game, I kind of felt like it became very apparent there, like you said. And I felt like they really didn't do a very good job addressing that issue in the offseason. Instead of, you know, they drafted a running back, which is cool and that's good. And J.K. Dobbins was, you know, good for them, but they could have definitely used a receiver. They could have definitely used another tight end on the other side of Mark Andrews. They could have definitely done more to bring in more offensive pieces besides a running back. Or, you know, they could have definitely brought in another offensive lineman, um, a more higher caliber offensive lineman. But they really didn't do too much to address any of that kind of stuff. So, you're not, I mean, you know, they're not really setting them up with the best personnel around, uh, Lamar, so I don't know what they're gonna do this off season, but it, it, you know, they definitely need to bring in somebody who can, you know, like you said, they need someone that can to catch those fifty fifty balls. They can really use somebody right now to do that for them. I think the Ravens draft last year was very good. Uh, I think most of those players they draft have turned into good rotation minutes for them, uh, especially like Patrick Queen. He's been fantastic. Uh, J.K. Dobbins was also great, but they didn't start him right off the bat. So his numbers are a little bit skewed. He doesn't like look as good on the season, but I think that was also a very good pickup. Uh, they did draft a couple of wide receivers, but they haven't used them much. They just kind of been using them on uh, kick returns and punt returns. Devin Duvernay, I mean, he's fantastic at kick returns. So I see why they like to put him there, but you know, I'd like to see them incorporate them into the offense a little bit more. Um, yeah, but I mean, like you said, like or like you said, and like I said, you know, they need somebody to catch 50-50 balls. They could even use so like a just a big body in the slot in general, uh, which usually is Mark Andrews. He's usually their big body guy who can you know get some receptions in the slot. Uh, but they really need somebody like a maybe a Julio Jones even. Maybe they trade for Julio, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, get well soon, Lamar, by the way. Uh, he's out. He went out with a concussion. Uh, 
So, yeah, let's jump to the Browns versus the Chiefs. Uh, speaking on other concussions, pretty much. Yeah, Mahomes. Yeah. The Browns lost 17 to 22 to the Chiefs. Uh, and, you know, I don't care what anyone says, the Browns choked this game. Even though they, they choked this game. <laughs> like, I, I felt like that, that, that fumble into the end zone was a very uh, – that play definitely could have went back because I think Sorensen definitely did helmet-to-helmet. Helmet. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I would call it necessarily targeting. I don't think he was purposely trying to go helmet-to-helmet, helmet, but he did go helmet-to-helmet, helmet, and I felt like they definitely could have called something for that when they didn't. I felt like that definitely uh, hurt the Browns' chances of potentially winning. But honestly, um, for me, it just kind of felt like Kevin just. Stefanski got outcoached that game. Um, their defense didn't play very well either. There was times where the offense just didn't look very sharp. Uh, I mean, I don't think Nick Chubb even had over uh, 80 yards rushing that game. So they really did a good job containing him. Um, for me, I just felt like there could have been a lot more done on the Browns side to win. And I'm not going to take any away from the, the Chiefs. The Chiefs played, offensively, they played uh, good enough to win. Um, I think, you know, when Chad Henney came in there, I was a bit unsure at first because he threw that pick. He overthrew Tyreek Hill and just threw a massive pick in the end zone. And yeah, that was literally the closest person to the ball was a Browns defender. Um, but then, I mean, he made the game-saving plays because uh, that, that run he did and went, like, head down, I was like, uh, I, that was bold. And then to throw it on fourth and inches, I think it was not the call that was crazy. I think it's the fact that he trusted his backup quarterback to do do that on such a wide scale. I think that, to me, was like Andy Reid definitely had a lot of confidence in Chad Henney. And Chad Henney, he's been in the NFL for a long time. Um, so it's surprising to see him, you know, he was 15. Oh, 13. Wow, that's, that's long. Um, I remember this dude back in like Madden 10 and all that stuff. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But Chad Henney, I mean... He's been around for a while. Um, he definitely stepped up to be uh, kind of like, I wouldn't say the player of the game, but he, he made one of the biggest plays, if not the biggest play of the game. So, you know, shout out to Chad Henney. Anything is possible. I mean, he really showed up when they needed him to. Hey, man, as Drake says, uh, I buy you champagne, but I love some Henny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I totally agree with you on uh Chad Henney in general, uh, you know, he pulled a Heineke basically, uh, Heineke post with that, with that big run. Um, and I totally, uh, honestly, I put like 80% of the blame of this game on Stefanski. I'm not going to lie. I really, man, I just like some of the decisions he made throughout the game in general were pretty baffling that, that, hor- that challenge call. I know he couldn't really see it, but at least wait till you can see the replay so you know you're challenging something worth challenging because he completely wasted a challenge, wasted a timeout, which could have been crucial down the stretch. Uh, and he should have challenged a couple other calls in the game, to be frank. There were a couple other calls that, you know, deserved a challenge to be, you know, reviewed and looked at again, but he just didn't do it. Um, you know, I – and then towards the – I believe it was – what, like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter? Uh, the Browns, you know, when they were third and 14, they they threw a screen pass. They, they threw a screen pass at third and 14. Like, what are you doing at that point? Like, you got to throw it deep somewhat. Like, 
and then even even if they didn't, you know, get to where they needed to be, they should have gone for it on fourth. You know, Stefanski should have known you know, the Browns' defense. What they weren't going to stop a parked car in that game. They really they were not. They just were not good in that game. He should have you know relied more on his offense, who which was cooking at the time, and which had converted I think every single fourth down right before that. You should have trusted him to go for it again. Like you know Baker was having a fantastic game. He didn't even get a chance to go back. The, the, the Chiefs just kept running it and wasting the clock. Uh, yeah, man, I just, you know, I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you know, even though Nick Chubb didn't have the greatest game, you know, I still think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are the best running back duo in the league by far. Um, like I said, Baker did great. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, I hopefully, hopefully he gets better soon. Uh, hopefully in time, I believe he will come back in time for the AFC championship. Uh, but yeah, the chiefs, I mean, the time of possession was really swayed to the chiefs favor. I mean, in the first half, the Browns only had three possessions, which is pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. Like, yeah, the fact that the chiefs were wasting that much time while also scoring, it was just, it's something it's really hard to stop. And I mean, Andy Reid really showed why he needs to be in the discussion for best coach in the league straight up. He was in his bag tonight, man. He was in his bag. Yeah. Andy Reid, arguably one of the best coaches. It's not the best coach uh, in my opinion right now. I mean, for me, it just felt like, you know, Andy Reid was on top of everything he needed to. It, like you said, it was like a slow kind of methodical kind of game. They really wasted a lot of clock and really held the, Brown's defense on the field, which the defense wasn't playing very well that game. So you're just taking advantage of, you know, what of what they can. And they did a very good job at that. I just felt like, you know, the Browns defense really let them down in this game. And I felt like, you know, the offense was, for me, I felt like the offense was a bit lackluster. I know you're saying Baker played really mm-hmm. well and all that. And don't get me wrong, I think he did play uh, well enough. But um, those Dolphins to me just seem very lackluster. The team only had 308 yard total yards, um, so I felt like they could have done a lot more. It could, I feel like you know watching that team last week, it felt like two different teams because last week it was just pure offense. Granted, they're on you know all the turnovers put them in good field position, but that's the offense was clicking and they were moving the ball. And that team they have deep options. Jar- Jarvis Landry is still their best option. I mean, even people, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones can catch a couple deep balls. Um, so I felt like they really didn't do the most to win. I felt like they weren't playing to win in the in the fourth quarter. Because like you said, throwing a screen pass on a, a third down in such a big part of the game, is it's questionable. Uh, and then punting away, and I just felt like he just kind of gave up. I felt like he really didn't do enough to uh, win. I didn't feel like there was enough, like, like, oomph. Like, there wasn't enough going on. Like, there wasn't... They didn't try hard enough to win this game. Uh, I mean, I felt like it was pretty... Pretty disappointing for the Browns. I mean, to you know, to win in such a fashion last week and then just kind of fizzle out like this, it, it, it is kind of concerning a bit. I don't know how they want to approach the offseason. I mean, the team's still a talented team, don't get me wrong, but um, if there's no heart, you know, that team's not going to go anywhere. They're not going to win anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to say that, you know, Baker wasn't incredible the, throughout the entire game, but I, like in the fourth quarter and then like towards the end of the third, when like they needed him to step up, he stepped up and he delivered. Uh, he was throwing on fourth. He was throwing on third. He was, you know, getting first downs. Uh, 
Baker, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a hot take, but you know, I think they're a better team without Odell. You know, that's not the craziest thing said because the team, the team was playing lights out after his injury. Um, Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. So <laughs> Baker is at his best when he doesn't have to worry about who gets what kind of targets. Because once he starts worrying about that, he starts uh, throwing into double coverage and throwing to guys when he really shouldn't, when they're not even open. You know, um, I think Baker does better with this group of guys who won't complain about, you know, how many targets they're getting, uh, especially Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is one of the most humble, you know, soft-spoken guys uh, when, in terms of receivers in the league. And, you know, I know he's not complaining about his target share or anything. He just wants to win the game. Uh, I th Odell complains about his target share a lot, sometimes publicly, even to the media. Uh, and, you know, if you try to force Baker to make those kinds of throws, he's, you know, that's when he looks at his worst. That's when he, like I said, he throws in a double coverage and it just does, it's not a good look for the Browns offense in general. But I think once OBJ went down, Baker felt just, freed of a chain he just felt free to throw to anybody who was open he said you know what i don't care if Jarvis landry has two targets this game or 10 if he's open i'm throwing him the ball uh and i think that's a big difference in just baker's mentality and approach to the game and i think that's kind of the reason he stepped up towards the second half of the season and especially towards um crunch time in this game yeah i, I can understand every, where you're coming from over that point on uh, all those points you just made um, I don't know what they're going to do with OBJ now that you do mention it. Um, because like I said, they were also playing, uh, they were just playing lights out after OBJ did go down. Um, you know, having that concern of who gets the ball does, you know, he did force a lot of passes early on in the season um, and through some uh, bad inter interceptions. Um, but, you know, if, you know, if they see it this way also, um, I wouldn't be surprised if OBJ is shipped away. Um, he's a, he's a talented player. Don't get me wrong, but you know, when he kind of sometimes it, at times it feels like he puts his own stats in front of just winning. Um, this happened at the very end of his run in uh, New York with the Giants. So you know, I mean, I like OBJ, but if they have to get rid of him to keep their winning ways, best believe they probably will let him go if they can. Or if they believe that's the best thing to do for them. Yeah. All right. Let's jump to the the saddest game I've yeah. ever had. Uh, the Saints and the Buccaneers. So the Saints lost to the Buccaneers 20 to 30. Man, this was just – it was kind of hard to watch. I'm not going to lie. As, just, yeah. as, a, as somebody who's grown up watching Drew Brees, like one of, one of my first Super Bowls ever was watching the Saints – uh, versus the Colts. So, you know, just growing up kind of watching Drew Brees and seeing him now in the state he's in, it's just, it's, it just breaks my heart, man. It just breaks my heart, genuinely. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I did get it into football around that same period of time, but I did not like the Saints. Um, not because of Drew Brees. I, I think that was around the bounty gate going on. I could not stand Drew Brees. Uh, I could not stand the Saints. So, you know, a little piece of me still couldn't care for the Saints. But Drew Brees, um, as a player, as an individual player, he did grow on me a lot. And I did like the way he plays. You know, I like the way he carried himself on and off the field. 
Um, you know, if he was really retiring after this game, because um, it's still, you know, it's not 100% confirmed yet, but just to, to go out on three interceptions, which all, pretty much all the interceptions led to, you know, led to points. Uh, no, two of the interceptions led to points, and the fumble led to uh, points. But a lot of their turnover, turnovers were really bad, and it could have been avoided. And I just felt like the Saints just... It just fizzled out. I mean, they just didn't even look that... I mean, they didn't even look that good last week against the Bears when they beat them 9-21. to But it's just offensively, that team was just lacking a lot of... A lot of what they would be used to see from the team. I mean, they said that Jameis Winston had the longest pass for the Saints all season. And that was his first and only pass, you know, in the game. So, and... Uh, I just felt like they really that it, we haven't seen that from the Saints offense. Like they they really didn't go deep this season, and it just kind of goes to tribute to Drew Brees going up there in age. I mean, the fact that Drew Brees even is back and play even played these last few weeks is you know crazy after that rib injury. I think he broke uh, ten to eleven ribs, so it was really crazy for him to even you know be playing right now at that age with an injury like that. Um, so props to Drew Brees in general to even play, but he, that team just as a whole did not look very good. I was, I was, it was sad to see, trust me. I, I, going out on that kind of note is really sad, but I felt like this is what we've seen from the Saints the past three years. I think they said, uh, yesterday that the Saints lost three straight, uh, uh, NFC championship games or something along those lines, so... Um, it was really bad for the Saints, and it just was really hard to watch. I do agree with that. It was really hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, Father Time just, you know, he's undefeated, and he finally caught up to Drew Brees. Uh, I do also want to say, you know, Tom Brady didn't impress me at all until about the fourth quarter. I thought he played pretty bad, in my opinion, and some of that was on his receivers, just straight up dropping easy passes or straight up not even turning around when he would throw them the ball, like they were just kind of miscommunicating. But he threw two really bad picks, but they both kind of – he lucked out on both of them because one of them just barely hit the ground right before the guy caught it, and the other one, it was caught just barely out of bounds. Um, And those two interceptions really could have, you know, swung the entire game. So I – you know, as good as Brady's fourth quarter performance was, which it was amazing – you know, one through the first through third quarters just were not good in my opinion. Uh, I do wish Drew Brees went out on a little bit of a better game. Uh, we're losing a lot of, we're possibly losing a lot of people this year. We got, we're losing possibly Big Ben, Maurice Pouncey, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Drew Brees. I mean, that's just, we're losing so many, you know, old, uh, old Hall of Famers. Uh, that it's you know it's pretty it's pretty sad to see Drew Brees end on this note, but you know I just I can't believe how Michael Thomas looked, <laughs> like he just yeah what's happened to him? Like he's he's been the fastest and most random fall from grace that I've ever seen from a wide receiver. He just straight up like ever since his injury, uh, and then he came back. He had some team issues. Apparently he. F- tried to fight somebody or something like that, got into an argument. And then he got, uh, you know, they didn't let him play the next game. And then he got injured again. You know, I don't know what's going on with Michael Thomas. I don't know if he's still a little hurt or feeling it, but he has zero catches this game. 
Yeah, on four targets. Yeah. And he got stiff-armed by uh, uh, Murray Buttoning. Uh, yeah. I mean, he got picked off, so he didn't look very good. Um, and I think, really, I feel like for me, he he's frustrating because he is such a great talent. Um, but I think it really it goes, goes to, to the quarterback, quarterback play as well. The quarterback play was just not was not impressed with this whole season. Yeah. I was never really impressed by Drew Brees this season. I was definitely not impressed by Taysom Hill. Um, Jameis Winston really never got a chance to really do anything. I feel like for me, Jameis Winston, call me crazy. I feel like Jameis Winston would probably be the best. If, out of the court, current quarterback room they have right now, he'd probably be the best option going forward. Because um, Taysom Hill, is, as a starting quarterback, doesn't do enough for me to feel like this guy can take this team to, you know, the playoffs or anything like that. Jameis, I mean, Jameis can throw. He just wasn't accurate. Um, if they, and he got LASIK surgery, they fixed his eye up, so, eyes up. So, you know, hopefully he'll be better if he is the starting quarterback next season for the Saints because the Saints do look to uh, resign him. Um, but I think there was a player that we're really not talking about who is kind of the X factor of the game, in my opinion. Go ahead. And that was the return of Devin White. Devin White was oh, an absolute baller yeah. that game. Yes. He had ten. He led the team in tackle, tackles, with ten solo tackles, and then he pretty he got his first interception in his whole career. His whole career, which, which uh, you, know, you know led to more Buccaneers points. Was kind of was the icing of the cake because that's when they were down. They were up 23, um, 20, and then his interception happened, and then they scored to go thirty to twenty. And pretty much for me, that was when the game ended. Uh, officially ended because Devin White really put the icing on the cake right there. I think the return of Devin White was what the team definitely needed. The team, you know, the offense, excuse me, the defense runs through Devin White. He is, is the leader, the leader of, that of that defense. defense. And, and that team defense looks so much better when he's out there. Totally agree. I mean, you know, you could tell that defense was missing him throughout the season uh, just when he wasn't there. Uh, and obviously, you know, if you had not had any knowledge of anybody coming back at all, like if you just saw the Bucks defense in this game versus uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, there's a night and day difference. You're right. Like he really does change that entire defense. Uh, I also want to talk about Mike Evans. I think he's being criminally underutilized, man, genuinely. I think, you know, Tom Brady keeps throwing 50-50 balls deep to Gronk. And I don't think that's the best option. I think he should throw those, take those exact same balls he throws and throw them to Mike Evans. He's like six foot four. He can jump really high. Let Throw him a 50-50. He'll probably get it. I mean, it's not even a 50-50 for him. It's like a 70-30. Like he's probably going to get it. Uh, you know, they really only seem to really utilize him in the in the end zone or in the red zone uh which i mean obviously he's fantastic at that as well but you know he can he can run uh he can run fast he can jump high and he's tall like give him use him a little bit more like i know bruce arians was a little bit um i believe like earlier in the season was a little bit annoyed with how much tom brady didn't use mike evans because obviously he sees mike evans ability uh but you know, they've used him a little bit more, but, you know, Mike Evans, he's the type of, he's being used in the sense of like, you know, some games he'll have like two catches for two touchdowns and that's it. Like, yeah, they just they only use him as an, as a red zone threat when he can be so much more. I don't understand why they don't use him more. 
I mean, typically, uh, when they go against the Saints, Marshawn Lattimore does usually typically shut down uh, Mike Evans, and that seems like the person they always love to put on Mike Evans. Um, I think last night was one of the few times he actually got a catch and a touchdown on Marshawn Lattimore, which was just pure athleticism. The dude was, like, just towering over uh, Lattimore and really pretty much bodied him for it. Um, but, I mean... I do think they could could have utilized Mike Evans a lot more because last week when they went against Washington, I felt like Mike Evans was always catching something. Um, he would feel like he was always the ball was always somehow finding a way to get into his hands. Um, so maybe they change up the game plan this week. Um, but I do expect to see Mike Evans utilized a lot more uh, next week. Yeah, especially with Antonio Brown going down, I'm not sure how yeah. long he's going to be out. Uh, but if it's serious and if he's out for a little while. They're gonna to have to use Mike Evans more. Uh, Scotty Miller was pretty good this game too. Him and him and Brady yeah. have a good connection. I'm concerned for Chris Godwin. He has not been playing very well. He's been very inconsistent throughout this whole playoff run for me. Because his route running has been a bit uh, wonky, and then also when he had that that pretty much that touchdown catch, he just lost control of all by himself. I was just I kind of felt like Chris Godwin hasn't really looked the same. Um, in these past few games, um, I'm I'm concerned because they really need him to step up when you know in this time frame because they're on they're potentially looking at a uh, Super Bowl run if they can you know, beat the Packers, which they did earlier this, this year in Week Six. Um, but I don't know; they really need Chris Godwin to step up, uh, especially with potentially Antonio Brown out. They really need him to step up for sure. All right, let's jump to the uh, NFC Championship preview. So we're going to stay talking on the Bucks a little bit. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and give your score prediction for the Packers and Bucks? Um, so uh, interesting, um, I was watching ESPN earlier today. They said that both these AFC and NFC Championship games are Week 6 rematches this week, uh, this, week this year. So um, I feel like... I feel like for me, uh, with this game though, I feel like the Packers would want to have revenge. These teams are definitely different teams than they were uh, back in Week Six. Um, the Bucks seemed a bit more un- unstoppable early on, but then kind of slowed down. But they kind of picked up momentum again. Um, and the Packers were in a weird like funk at the time, but then definitely picked up since then. Um, it's gonna be. I feel for me, I feel like this is gonna be a higher scoring game. I feel like this will probably come down, you know, to how well this team's playing in cold weather because this is a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. You know, Tampa Bay is a pretty warm area. I know Brady's used to playing in the cold, but, you know, it is something to consider for the other players that, you know, are so used to being located in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, with AB potentially being, potentially, you know, being out for the game, and then if Chris Godwin stays inconsistent... Um, I do see the Packers taking advantage of that because, like you said earlier in the podcast, that secondary for the Packers been nothing to really, um, you know, nothing short of talented because Jair Alexander leads that secondary as he's one of the best corners in the NFL right now. For me, I just feel like the Packers are going to probably, I'd probably say squeak this one out 34 to 31. Wow, you know that's pretty close to my prediction. Uh, I also have the Packers uh, squeaking it out, but by a little bit more. I have the Packers thirty-four to twenty-eight. Uh, you know, 
the thing with the Bucks is, you know, their defense, their run defense is incredible. I, th- I believe they do have the number one run defense right now. Uh, their secondary looked better than usual last week because of, in my opinion, the, you know, the play of Drew Brees. Um, I don't think they're going to have that repeat kind of performance with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he's just playing on a different level right now. A different level than Drew Brees, especially, but also on a different level than Brady, in my opinion. Uh, I just think, you know, Devontae Adams, he finds a way to feast no matter who's on him. They're going to find a way to get him involved, even if it's through, you know, a jet sweep or something. They'll find a way to get him involved and get him to touch the ball because they know when Devontae Adams gets his targets, gets his touches, he's going to help lead your team to victory. Uh, so, you know, I expect Matt LaFleur to pull some tricks out of his bag for this game. Uh, and obviously, like we're talking about before, Green Bay secondary is very good. Um, and, you know, the run defense is a little bit sus. I do believe Ronald Jones is set to come back. Uh, that could be very, very good for the Buccaneers. But at the same time, you know, this Packers team is also the same one that, you know, kind of shut Derrick Henry down earlier in the season. You know, they could do it again if Ronald Jones starts feasting. You know, I do believe in this team to be able to uh, read the offense a little bit, you know, maybe throw out a blitz to try and stop the run. Uh, and, you know, I just don't, you know, I, I, Tom Brady's the GOAT. Let me put it out there. He's the greatest quarterback of all time uh, in terms of at least legacy. But, you know, I don't trust him against this defense. <laughs> I don't trust him against the Packers defense. You know, he, a lot of his throws are sus. You know, like I said, he almost had two more picks uh, in uh, last night's game. And, you know, if he, against against the Packers, if those two picks kind of fall in the right place, if he gets a little bit unlucky with where he throws it, that could spell the game for them straight up. Because you do not want to give this Green Bay offense any type of opportunities, uh, you know, for short yardage uh, possessions at all. No, uh, not. That's not, that's not going to be the way you're going to win this game at all. That's going to definitely lead to your downfall. I, I do think that Brady will throw a couple, you know, uh, costly picks in this game. And that's why I have the Packers kind of squeaking out there at 34 to 28, because even though the Bucks run defense is incredible and Aaron Jones probably isn't going to do much again, you know, they still can throw the, um, throw a couple screens to Aaron Jones and they can, you know, set their run defense, set their running game up by throwing uh, well. So, you know, maybe they'll, do run a little trick play where they have Aaron Jones um, where they fake a pass and they let Aaron Jones just run it up the middle or something. You know, they'll, I think green Bay will find a way. I, I really believe in their head coach. Uh, I can't say the same about the bucks. I don't really believe in Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, uh, but you know, t- this could go either way. This really could go either way. Yeah. I have right now, just the way Packers uh, offense has been looking, I just have a lot more faith in the Packers to, you know, step up this game and really, you know, get the revenge because, you know, what happened in the regular season was not something we ever see from Aaron Rodgers. I think that was, that was definitely his worst game of the season. He had no passing touchdowns in the game and had two interceptions, but he's just been playing so lights out since then. Um, I just cannot see this team losing. Yeah. 
Uh, let's jump to the AFC championship with the Chiefs versus the Bills. Uh, you know who I'm going to pick. And I know who you're going to pick most likely because we, we picked these two to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, so our predictions are looking pretty good right now. Uh, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and give me your scores first? For me, what happens in this game is contingent on the status of Mahomes, of course. Um, the, the concussion protocol is a legitimate protocol. There's five steps to it. Uh, it's pretty lengthy. Um, they say they might not see real results until maybe you know Wednesday, Thursday time frame, which is cutting it kind of close to the when the game's supposed to happen. I just feel like if Mahomes is playing, the Chiefs will probably win. Um, and if Mahomes is not playing, I feel like the Bills will easily win. Uh, I, I wouldn't say, well, yeah, I would say easily win that game. Um, you know, the Bills haven't looked the greatest in this playoff run. Let's be honest, they really haven't. But they are playing winning football. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's a big win or a small win, a win's a win. Um, this team finds ways to win in spite of, you know, things not going, some things not going their way, such as the running game. Uh, so for me, the scores, if Mahomes is back and healthy, um, I think the Chiefs win 25 to 21. If he is not, I feel like the Bills win 19 to 10. Those some pretty low scores. Uh, I do not see this to be a high scoring game at the moment. I, I do want to say that I do believe um, this will be a much more defensive battle than a lot of people will think. Uh, but I still have some pretty high scores. So I'm confident that Mahomes will play. You know, I don't think he's going to miss this playoff game. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think the team, if anything, might cut some corners just to kind of squeak him by the concussion protocol. Mahomes will probably do everything he can to try and squeak by it. You know, uh, I I am like 98% sure that he will play. And so I based my score off of that. And I have the Bills winning 33 <laughs> to 31. <laughs> So, so even if he does play, you still think the Bills are going to win? Yes, I still think the Bills are going to win. Because Mahomes, you know, coming straight off the concussion protocol, he's not going to fully be healthy. He, he might not um, adapt really well to noise or the lights in the stadium. I mean, you know, you know how concussions are. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be – it's definitely going to be really difficult on Mahomes uh, – and the thing is, when the when the Chiefs lose, typically, they they typically lose because they are outgunned, uh, and because on the other team builds a lead on them early. Uh, I'm pretty confident in the Bills' ability to build build a lead on them early. Uh, I am a little bit worried that the Ravens' defense kind of exposed some things with the Bills' offense that Kansas City might try to emulate. Um, I think, you know, this is the thing that's, that worries me the most about picking the bills here is that when, when the chiefs defense really tries, they're honestly like a, they're like a top 10 unit in the entire league. When they really try, when they're all bought in and when they like give their hundred percent, they are a top 10 unit in the league. That's how they've been playing. So, you know, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't be surprised if this was more of a defensive game. I did put it as, uh, you know, a high scoring game. I do think there might be a couple pick sixes here and there. I'm, I'm anticipating a little bit of those. Uh, but look, this is probably going to be the best game of the week. 
I'll just put it out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me personally, I didn't think the divisional games were too exciting this year. Um, but I'm really hoping that the AFC and NFC Championship games will be a lot more exciting than the divisional week was. All right, well, that's it for the NFL. So let's jump to the NBA. Uh, let's start with a little bit of a little bit of breaking news uh, just today. Kevin Porter Jr. is expected to be released or traded by the Cavs following a locker room outburst. So let me give some background on this. So apparently they gave Torian Prince, they gave Torian Prince uh, Kevin Porter Jr.'s locker room. And Kevin Porter Jr. hasn't been playing since, like he hasn't played at all (laughs) this entire season. Uh, And he didn't play at all because he was, uh, in a legal battle with uh, the police because he was driving under the influence of marijuana and he crashed his car. And they, when the police searched his car, they found illegal firearms and marijuana. So he was kind of in a dispute with the police and everything. So he wasn't showing up to camp or he couldn't play. Uh, but then they did drop the case eventually. And even when they dropped the case, he still didn't come back. He cited personal issues for not coming back yet. Uh, He finally did come back only to see his locker room was given away to Torian Prince while he was gone. And he got really mad and started yelling and throwing food at people to the point where Kobe Altman had to step in. And this is a player that you know, the Cavs gave up four second round picks to move up to get him, you know, and now they're basically going to have to cut him because nobody's going to trade for him at, at that, at this point, you know, I really doubt anyone's going to trade for him. Um, it does, you know, it was a little bit dirty that they gave away his locker, but to react in that manner is just, it's very, you know, very childish and, I'm worried about his mental state, his mental health state right now. Uh, I'm not sure if he's, you know, in the best place mentally. I hope he gets the help he needs. He is talented. He's always been extremely talented. He was projected lottery before, you know, these off the court issues started. So he has the talent. He just needs to put it together off the court. I don't know if he needs, you know, uh, legitimate help. Uh, But if he does, I really hope he gets it. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Porter Jr., he's a talented player with a lot of upside. Um, but I feel like he was already kind of on a short lease coming into the season. Like you mentioned, he had uh, he was arrested for the weapon charges uh, back in November of 2020. I think he also was accused of hitting a woman around that same time frame as well. Um, I think that case might have been dropped, though. I have not heard much of an update on that one in a long time. Um but when, you know, when they had the confrontation with the GM, he used the phrase, quote unquote, modern day slavery uh, when uh, in this heated conversation and heated confrontation. Um, my thing is he has a lot of maturing to do. Um, I am also concerned for his well-being. You know, the dude is a very talented player. I would hope to see him kind of get back on the right track. I mean, like obviously I wanted to see him get back on the right track, but... You know, um, he definitely need a new change of scenery. 
I don't know what's going on behind the scenes or what's causing all these things to happen, but it's just not a really good look on his part. And, you know, it's really not a good look on the Cavs part as well. Um, you know, I think for me personally, I feel like, like I said earlier, he just has a lot of maturing to do. I think the one thing that stuck out to me about this player, his most memorable play as a uh, throughout the NBA is when he uh, dunked on a 76ers player uh, last year and flexed on them while they were down 40 plus points. Uh, and the announcer said, hey, what are you doing, man? You're getting down a thousand points. And he was annoyed with Kevin Porter Jr. when he did that. Um, so for me, maturity is always a concern. Um, I don't know if he can bounce back from something like this because, you know, these kind of confrontations, stuff like that, I mean, it look it's really bad on your it looks really bad on your character um if he doesn't you know get himself back on track or you know get his situation straightened out he might find himself in the g league or even worse just out the league completely yeah i mean you know locker room issues are and you know detriments to the locker room are not desired in every sport i feel like they're tolerated a little bit more in the nba uh, so I could see another team taking a chance on him, but I don't think any team's going to trade for him. I think the Cavs do have to cut him at this point. Um, yeah, I just I just hope Kevin Porter Jr., you know, I hope he gets the help he needs. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, that's I just wish the best for him. Uh, let's oh, you really can't do at this point, honestly. Yeah, let's move on to – Another strange situation. Uh, <clears throat> so first, I want to shout out Kyrie for doing something really great. He um, bought George Floyd's ha- uh, family a house, which is a fantastic move on his part. Uh, Kyrie's not a bad person. I just want to put that out there right now before we get into this. Um, what do you think happens to Kyrie now that Harden is is back, or now Harden is on the nets and is looking really good? with KD what do you think they're gonna do with Kyrie uh I think it's too soon to say um they only did play one game Uh, I think they are scheduled to play tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks um I feel like that for me would kind of help gauge more as Milwaukee is a better team in the east compared to the Magic the team they did come off beating um I don't know what they're gonna do with Kyrie I don't think they should trade him uh in any sense this season I think this season they should just let him play it out. Uh, if he does could come back to play, which I'm assuming he will, because he has been fined uh, 50k for violations of COVID protocols and health protocols, and he already lost one million dollars from missing uh, a handful of games already. Um, but for me, like I said, I don't feel like they should trade him. Um, I feel like if they trade him, it could affect the morality um, in the locker room. It also could affect. Um, their relationship with Kevin Durant as those two kind of came as a package deal. I feel like if they upset Kevin Durant, that will upset Harden, who they also got because obviously Harden and KD are boys as well still. Um, so I feel like that will just trickle down if they make a trade, including Kyrie in it, especially without letting the others, uh, those two know, because I think that was the reason why Harden even wanted to come play there is because he gets the chance to play with two other uh, high Octane and elite players, so um, you know the trade for him is it's a bit much. Um, the trade amount is a bit much, but I think 
they have to really they have to really get him back on track because um like you said earlier Kyrie's not a bad guy I mean I feel like what Kyrie's actually what he does is if good with good intentions um you know what he does it's it's you know it's commendable uh I just feel like he's putting his main career on the back burner which which gives him the platform to do what he does which gives him the funds to do what he does um you know he, he's got to find a balance he can't neglect one thing and do another thing unless he's ready to just you know call it quits and just go completely become an activist at this point um Kyrie just needs to really get himself together it yeah I'm I'm totally with you on that um Matt Barnes on Instagram did comment saying, you know, something along the lines of, you know, well, you know, screw Kyrie and his antics. Uh, I'm just going to trade him for depth <laughs> and build around hardening. Team. <laughs> and you know what, in my opinion, I think that's the right move. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what the locker room is like at all. There's, there haven't been many reports on what's going on, but, I can't imagine the team's too happy with Kyrie not telling them where he's going and then just kind of leaving and not showing up for like two weeks. Uh, you know, I think, you know, they need, the Nets really need, uh, they need some depth. Now, they, obviously they trade for Harden, so they lost a bunch of their depth, but they really need a center. They really need a center. DeAndre Jordan He's okay, but he doesn't look the same at all, especially not defensively. You know, the Nets just, they need a new starting center. You know, they've been playing Jeff Green at center a lot, which is something that the Wizards did <laughs> like back in the day, um, which he can play center, but not full time. You know, he, no. Jeff Green is, he's very versatile, uh, versatile, but they need a strong, you know, new center, starting center. And I think a Kyrie trade for man i couldn't even tell you right now but some type of center around the league uh would really really help them uh you know or even just grabbing a, another bench scorer or bench playmaker that would help them as well i do think that harden kd and Kyrie. we talked about this on the emergency podcast about how they fit you know one of those guys has to sacrifice and, you know, I'm not sure if Kyrie can do that. I'm not sure how much he can sacrifice. If I feel like, you know, Kyrie should be the one to sacrifice because technically he's the worst of those three. Uh, but, you know, I think KD would be the one more likely to sacrifice just because he's the bigger guy. He's handling the ball less. And so I think he would end up being the one who would have to sacrifice a little bit, even though that wouldn't be the right move. I, KD, you know, he's an unselfish player. He would be willing to, you know, take a little bit of a hit to his points. Uh, I just don't see how all of them fit together particularly well, especially on defense. I know KD does play very good defense and James Harden's defense is it's on and off, but you know, when he is really trying, his defense is actually very solid. Um, I believe he had what three steals in his debut. Uh, that, steals aren't a measure of defense specifically, but you know it was a good sign. It's a good sign that he's really still trying on that end. You know, I think trading Kyrie's the right move, 
but you're right. I don't think they'll do it this season. If they do it, it'll probably be in the off season. Yeah, like you say, it is the right move. It's just it's not the move they will make. They will make. Uh, I just feel like that will definitely hurt any kind of chemistry they want going. And they do want to write it out and see if this team really does have if the tr- the trio they brought in really has uh, the capabilities of even making a championship run. Like the media wants us to believe right at the moment. So uh, we'll have to really see where that's going to go. To be honest. All right. So last segment uh, of the day. We're going we're gonna to talk about some teams that need to step it up before it, gets too, before it gets too deep into the season and it's just too late for them. Uh, I'll kick it off. I'll kick it off on this one. I think the Timberwolves seriously need to step it up. I mean, look, I didn't project them as a playoff team. Uh, I projected them as you know possibly making the play-in tournament if everything goes perfectly for them. But, you know, I didn't think they'd be the worst in the West right now. Like, that's – I did not expect that. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, of course. They've, they've missed Cat for a few games due to injury. And now they're missing him even more because of COVID. Uh, get well soon, by the way, Cat. Um, it's, very, it's very hard to hear that he's getting COVID, especially after how much it's racked his family. But, you know, even with Cat on the floor – there's just zero defense from almost every position on the floor. There's basically almost no defenders and the team building is just so questionable by the Wolves GM. I mean, trading Robert Covington uh, just was not a good idea. If you're trying to compete, he is, you know, he can be an anchor of a defense and to trade him away when defense is the main thing you need. And like wing play is the main thing you need is just, it was a very bad move in my opinion. Uh, and also just cutting Rondé Hollis Jefferson. He, he was their, I'd say he was their best defender on the team and they cut him before the season even really started. <laughs> I, I think that was a really bad move by them. You know, they, they need defense, but they keep throwing away good defenders. I don't understand what they're trying to do here. Uh, their only real playmaker is Ricky Rubio. Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell, he can kind of play, make it a little bit. That's not his main, that's not his main goal. Cat uh, even can play, make a little bit, but that's not, that's not his main goal. You know, the only real playmaker who's um, setting guys up right now is Ricky Rubio. Uh, and obviously they're relying on Anthony Edwards for about like 15 points a game. Uh, and he's a rookie and they're relying on him for a lot of the offense on the, off their bench. Uh, just, you know, there's so many questionable decisions made by the GM uh you know I just don't know where this team is going to go I don't know where they're headed I don't know what they're doing uh they don't have their own draft pick this year so tanking does nothing for them uh being worst in the west all it does is improve the Golden State Warriors draft stock because they have their pick uh it is top three protected so technically you know if they really want to take the chance they could they could tank, but, you know, we've seen from the Knicks in the past few years that the lottery can be merciless. <laughs> you could, you could be the worst team in the league and not even end up with a top four pick. Like the lottery is ruthless. So, you know, if ping pong balls don't bounce their way, suddenly their pick is gone. They don't have any assets to really build off of. And maybe cat straight up asks for a trade. You know, I, 
I don't know where this team is really going. I don't know what they're trying to achieve this year. If they are trying to compete, they're not making the right moves to compete. And if they're trying to tank, this is the worst season to choose to tank. Uh, Because like I said, they don't have their own pick. They don't have their own pick. So yeah, I mean, the, the Timberwolves, they need to step it up before it gets too late. If they don't, man, I just, I just would feel bad for Wolves fans. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing I want to say. I feel like the coach, Ryan Sanders, has been there for a long time. He, I think they can definitely uh, move on from him eventually. I feel like he's really never been the right guy for the job. I know the whole situation with his father and all that going on, and they felt like you know, it would be right to have his son coach afterwards. Um, he's not really filled in the shoes that his father did. Um, they definitely can move on from Ryan Sanders probably by the end of the season. I don't. I'm never a fan of coaches being fired during season because it's just a lot of a lot more pressure on the interim coach, and it's usually you get some of the some of the team sloppiest basketball once the coach is fired, depending on how bad the coach is. Um, but you know that team, they can definitely you know step it up. Uh, I think the one. One of the few bright spots of that team at the moment, the past few games, have been Malik Beasley. He's been playing quite well, but you know he's only one player on a, a on a roster. So you know, basketball still is a team sport. People forget. I know it's a, a it's a it's a star driven sport, and like everyone thinks that like one or two people can do it, but it's still a team sport. So they definitely need the others to get it going if they really want to make any type of potential run to the playoffs i don't even think that's in their sights for me personally i don't think it's in their sights but you know at least to make that effort uh so for me the team i chose to step it up is the miami heat the miami heat have lost three straight they're currently four and seven and 12th in east 12th in the east um jimmy butler has only played a handful of games this season though He's only played six, and in the six games he played, did play, he's averaging 15.5 points, five reba- 5.5 rebounds, 5.3 assists, and 2.2 steals. Um, I feel like right now, currently, the people are kind of like, even keeping this team even afloat at the moment is Bam Adebayo, um, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson. Um, I feel like Goran Dragic is kind of playing so-so. Um, you know, he's averaging 14 points. 5.6 assists, which is good, which is solid, but he's just, he is averaging three turnovers per game. Uh, I feel like a big uh, a, a part they had last year that was really good that's just not playing good at all this season is Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick Nunn has regressed exponentially. Uh, he's only averaging 5.5 points, and the rest of the stats also has dropped. Um, this is a 10 point decrease when he saw than what he saw his rookie year. Uh, which is really bad because as a sophomore player, I know I, we all heard of sophomore slumps, but this is taking the cake. This is uh, he's in dangerous territory of how bad he is slumping. Um, let me get some other stats to kind of go along with why this team is struggling. Currently, they are 19th in the league for points per game, with 110. They're actually play, uh, shooting well. They're seventh in the league in field goal percentage with 49, 47.9%. Fifth in the league in assists per game, which is with 26.7. But this is where it starts getting on the bad side. <laughs> they are 27th in the league in rebounds per game with 
24th in the league uh, with oppositional points per game, which the other teams scoring 114.5 points per game, which is never good when your opponents are scoring more than your team is scoring. Obviously, that's gonna just a, a recipe for disaster. There's 26 in the league in steals per game, 27th in the league in blocks per game, 24th in the league in plus or minus, which while they're negative 4.5 right now as a whole team, and they are dead last in the league in turnovers, and they're turning over the ball 18 times per game. Um, so the thing is really worrisome with this team is last year they were just in the finals and they've regressed, regressed you know, exponentially from since that uh, that moment. And a lot of teams and a lot of GMs believe that they kind of fed into the narrative of overachieving in the bubble. Um, I think the team personally did overachieve in the bubble. I don't know if I would if I consider this team a championship team anymore. I don't even even when they made the championship uh, made the finals last year. I didn't think they were the most equipped team. I don't. I didn't even think they were the best team in the East last year. Um, they just got really fortunate in a lot of the situations they were in. Um, the team typically was really good defensively last year, but obviously as we've seen, their defense has been a big problem. Uh, I think the absence of Jimmy Butler has probably contributed to that, but the team was only three and three when he did play in the six games that um, in the six games he did play in, uh, which still isn't that good. You know, that's like that's just five hundred. The team has really not really found its main scorers. I don't think anyone on the team is currently averaging over twenty points per game, so they could could definitely use somebody who can definitely step up and you know start scoring for them. Um, like I said, turnovers kills this team a lot. But these issues that they are having are fixable. It's a lot of it. It's it's mental, uh, and a lot of it is to do with coaching. I feel like um, Eric Spoelstra is one of those coaches who can definitely, uh, who's capable of definitely fixing something like this with a lot more uh, drills and a lot more just to get the team more focused and whatnot. Um, it, it's concerning to see them play this bad at the moment, but I do not think that this season's over for them. It's not one of those seasons like, hey, we're playing bad, let's just start tanking. There are still decent pieces on this team. I think Avery Bradley is still a solid piece off the bench for them. Um, I need to get Andre Iguodala, start, you know, start get him to going again because he hasn't really done much, in my opinion, ever since he's made to the Heat. I know he played a little bit last year in the playoffs, but for me, he hasn't really had that effect that he had when he was with Golden State. Granted, he is older now, but I just still, I, I mean, I just need a little bit more from Iggy. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that's that's never good when that's your only highlight of the season. Um, so he can definitely improve. Uh, I feel like the bench, could, the whole bench unit can definitely improve. Um, they just got to get more focus and just kind of clean up because, you know, once they hit that mid-season stretch, cleaning, uh, having clean ball handling and, you know, uh, a lot of that focus is definitely necessary when you hit that mid, mid-season mid stretch because uh, a lot of those games just keep coming and coming. So you you got to really stay focused as much as possible. So I think the Heat can step it up. Um, it just It's just a matter of time when. Um, I think when Jimmy Butler hopefully comes back uh, from his quarantining process, hopefully he will come back and uh, start moving this team back into the correct direction.
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of their issues were just compounded by the COVID issues that they've been having. Um, I also think that, you know, this is a team that obviously, like, they do thrive in a bubble environment. So if they can just reach the playoffs, I think they do have a shot to try and go back to the finals. Uh, because once again, I believe the playoffs will be he- held in a, in a bubble again. Um, and there was something uh, you said earlier about how, you know, a lot of their bench guys are not producing well. You know, I think the Heat really need some type of third star, whether that's uh, maybe an Oladipo or a Bradley Beal or somebody like that. Uh, but the only issue with that is that they're not willing to give up the necessary pieces to get those players. I mean, they could have gotten Harden. They had one of the best um, trade offers for Harden in general, uh, but they didn't want to give up Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, which is understandable. But at the same time, it's James Harden. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like there's so many Heat fans as well as even the GM uh, think that Hero uh, Duncan, sorry, Hero Robinson and uh, Precious Achua together is too much of a package already for Bradley Beal. I think that's ridiculous. I think that they're really overvaluing their own players. Uh, I get it. I get that that's kind of their young core right now, but you know, Duncan Robinson is like, well, like 27. He's not exactly really young right now. Tyler yeah. Harrow, he's, I mean, he's fresh off a, a decent freshman season, but how long is he going to take to develop into the player that Bradley Beal or James Harden is right now? You know, I think the Heat are maybe trying to wait for Kawhi Leonard to become available, uh, hopefully in free agency for them. I think, you know, I don't think their issues are fixable this season unless they really trade for somebody like Bradley Beal or somebody else. Uh, I think a lot of their issues will be fixed in the off season when maybe they could go after Oladipo and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I do believe Andre Iguodala comes off the books then. So if they kind of give Andre Iguodala's contract to Oladipo, you know, I think he would take a little bit of a pay cut like that, um, which is about 15 million. I do think he would take a little bit of a pay cut because there's just been rumors running rampant that Oladipo just really wants to go to Miami. He really has been pushing for it. He turned down $25 million a year with Indiana. Yeah. And that's why they traded him. <laughs> that's, that's why they yeah, should. Yeah. So, you know, if he really does want to go to Miami, he's going to have to take a pay cut. I think, I don't think they're going to give him a, a full max. Uh, but then again, the, the heat are liable to give out bad contracts. I mean, they gave obviously Myers Leonard, that big deal for basically no reason. They gave Iguodala a big extension also for potentially no reason. It, even after they didn't really see him play, they just straight up gave him the extension before they even, oh, sorry, before they even really saw him play, uh, which is a little ridiculous. Uh, yeah, the Heat are prone to bad contracts. Tyler Johnson, I can name another one right there. Uh, you know, so it's, it's going to be up in the air. You know, they're definitely going to be pursuing Kawhi Leonard in the offseason. Uh and so I do agree with, you know, some of their issues are fixable, you know, just by coaching and discipline uh, and also probably by uh, coming back from the COVID and come, being fully healthy. But, you know, I also agree with you in, in the fact that, you know, now the Nets are in the East and now the Nets are, now, now they have Harden. I don't see the Heat team making it back to the finals at all. 
they'd have to wait till next year, maybe grab Kawhi Leonard or Victor Oladipo somehow just snag one of those two. Uh, and then they would be okay. But until then, yeah, I, I don't see the Heat doing anything right now. And I think that, you know, if they didn't overvalue their players a little bit, I think they'd be in a little bit of a better position. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with you on that statement with them overval- overvaluing their players because I've seen every time you hear any Heat discussion or anyone in like the comments of any Heat post, oh, well, we can never get rid of, get rid of Hero, we can never get rid of uh, Duncan Robinson. It's like, for me, I, I would let go of Hero to, for for Bradley Beal because, like you said, Bradley Beal is already an established player. We already know the dude's a, a bucket. He leads the NBA in scoring right now. Um Tyler Hero, I, I like him. He's a he's a solid player, but he's not Bradley Beal. Um, I c- yeah, for me, mm-hmm. for me, I'd rather let go of Hero than Robinson, which just seems kind of crazy. But Robinson's already kind of getting in the thick of it and about to get into his prime more so. So this is kind of like the player we know he's going to be. Like you said, he is like 26, 27 years old. Um, you know, he's a 3 and D player. I, I kind of like that. I mean, I feel like that could always, you know, fit on any kind of team. So I'd rather, I would be okay with them not wanting to ship him as much as Hero. Hero's young. Uh, you know, with these young players, some of these young players, they play very well for the first few seasons, then just kind of trickle out. Or, you know, or they play very rough their first few seasons and then kind of improve. But Heroes already started out pretty well. Um, it just interesting. It would be interesting to see where he goes from here on out. Um, but, you know, when you're trying to win a championship, you got to make some decisions. And you got to make some, you know, very crucial decisions. Um, Pat Riley, if he wants to, you know, prove people wrong that, hey, this Heat team is aren't, aren't overachievers. Um, we, you know, we're, we're right where we need to be. You know, and he feels like they need to make a trade as well. Um, you know, you gotta really consider letting go of some of those pieces you claim that are untouchable uh, if you really want to get a championship. So it depends on just how much he really wants it. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and on that note, we are going to end this edition of the Speak Truth Sports Podcast. Uh, once again, I've been Bert. Trade as always. Uh, and uh, I want to ask once again that you like and share and comment, uh, rate the video, everything, you know, help support us. Uh, you can find us on just about any social media at Speak Truth Sports. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. So we will see you all next time.